The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Hello and welcome to ACB Home Garden and Agriculture. Typically, Marge introduces us, but she appears to be having a little technical difficulty. So Marge, if you can hear me, um, when you are able to join us, just cut in and let me know you are there. We get together the second Saturday of every month to geek out on growing plants and keeping animals. Uh, today we have uh, Holly is uh, our host. She will be unmuting people when we get to the point in, in this call when we can take calls. And we have Chanel who is streaming and handling Clubhouse. So we always want to thank our, our volunteers. Uh, we have our guest this month is Mike. Uh, some of you might remember Mike from last month. He talked to us about garlic last month. And this month, we are going to be talking about uh, no-dig gardening. And um, that's that has a lot of applications to both in-ground gardening and container gardening. So we'll get to that in just a moment. But I am going to ask Holly, have you had any luck? contact getting um, Marge. Is she still with us, Holly? Just a second. Yes, yeah, she's here. Marge, okay. can you speak to us, please? Um, Marge, if you can hear, you might want to try calling in or reconnecting. Uh, sometimes a different route might work. I don't know, uh, but we're not hearing you. And just whole call is just not the same without Marge. <laughs> we need Marge. So uh, when you are able to connect, uh, Holly, just let me know uh, when she pops back up. It, it will be great to have her join us. So uh, usually Marge and I start out by talking, chit-chatting a bit about what is going on uh, with us and our gardening and, and um, animal keeping. And I'll just say that it's been a fabulous year. I, it makes up for last year, uh, for me anyway. I'm still getting blackberries. We're still waiting for our first frost. The peppers have been amazing. Uh, herbs have been fantastic. Uh, I, I have planted a lot of my winter crops and uh, have been enjoying the sweeter uh, greens, the greens definitely sweeten up as it gets cooler and they're more tender. So I've, I've been greatly enjoying that. Uh, so let's go ahead and, and I'm going to introduce Mike and we'll start. And again, if Marge is able to join us, uh, just let us know when, when she's with us. So Mike is an advanced master gardener with the University of Idaho, Ada County Extension Agency. He's very knowledgeable about a wide range of topics. We are so fortunate to have him today. Some of you may have heard us talking a little bit before we came on air 
Uh, and he had already volunteered today working with his little earthworms. These are children he works with at a local nursery. Uh, he helps them garden and grow plants. And uh, Mike, thank you so much for joining us again this month. Thank you. And tell us a little bit more about what you were doing with your earthworms today. Well, thank you very much, Deb. I do appreciate it. I do enjoy being here. And um, yeah, if the earthworms are in, in, there's a large nursery here in Boise and they support children from, if they can walk and dig in the dirt, then they can come and join. And, and we have a very number of kids. Some, some days there's more than others. And today there was only four, so it wasn't too bad. It can get up to 12 and 15 at a time. But today what we did was the, the, the little ones, we tipped over potatoes that we were growing in containers and let them dig through the dirt and find all the potatoes. And they had more fun doing that. And then we pulled all of our tomatoes. And one of the tomato varieties that we like very much is one that is called Mike's Italian because I don't know where it came from. It just appeared in my <laughs> garden one day. And uh, I've been growing it for about five years. And we started saving the seeds. And that's one thing we did today with the kids. Oh, that's great. And, and so you have, you have named a tomato variety after yourself. That's, that's, that's great. I love it. So, Mike, you're going to talk to us today about no-till tilt or no-dig gardening. And we're looking at the small, you know, home gardener aspect. There are other considerations when you're looking at large farms and agricultural operations, but we're just looking at the, the small home gardener. And we had talked about this a little bit and you said some of this applies to um, container gardening too, because we're really looking at soil structure. So first off, can you tell me um, how you are just defining no-dig gardening? and what we're focusing on today. Excuse me just a minute. Marge S. is here and she's muted. So maybe she could try and unmute herself so she can participate. Sorry to interrupt. Okay. Marge, did you unmute? I think it's star six if you're on the phone. And don't forget about the got it button. You'll have to get to that first. Oh, yeah, and press that, got it. Okay, well, I'm thinking Marge might have a microphone issue going on. We sadly are not hearing you, Marge, but keep trying. Don't give up on us. <laughs> okay, so Mike, tell us what is no dig gardening? Well, what I mean by that is, and, and they can interrupt at any time like that. That's no problem with me. Um, a no-till garden is meaning you're not usually you're not turning over the soil like you would normally do with a rototiller or a shovel and, and removing the, the soil and and uh, tearing it up and and rototilling it out with a power rototiller or even even just a a fork that uh, you'll go up and turn turn over the earth. And we're going to talk about no-till gardening today. Okay, and. Uh, I I know that in the past I 
had a strong desire to rip up my soil. Um, when I was a kid, we used to plow the garden with the tractor uh, and rototill it. Uh, later on, when I became just a small home gardener, I would go out there with my shovel and dig, 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 because I had the idea that I really had to dig up that soil to fluff it up and and work it hard before I could garden. Um, and I will say that for the past several years, I've been absolutely no dig gardening, and I'm amazed at the how nice my soil can be because I thought you had to dig it up to make it fluff up and and do well so tell me a little bit about the rationale behind not tilling or digging well one of the things is is look at a giant forest how much tilling does mother nature do or how much tilling does mother nature use a spade in the in the forest not ever and the forest is always surviving it's just the major way and today we're going to learn why we're going to do that but before we can get into that we have to learn something it's called the food web the food web is just like um, a biome just as we have a biome to digest our food the food the soil has a biome to digest the organic material and what there is is in the soil is composed of many many microbes and in a sample of a teaspoon of, of soil will contain maybe 10 billion microbes in it. And the microbes in the soil are bacteria, protozoa, nematodes, fungus. And to get into what is really going on is really getting deep into it. And I'm just going to go over the surface of it, how the overall process works. And what it is, is in the soil, all these microbes, what they do, is they take organic material that is on the top of the soil. Sometimes the worms bring it down into the soil. Sometimes the bacteria up there starts breaking it down and it gets into the soil. And then these microbes that are in the soil break down the organic material into uh, chemicals that the plant can absorb readily. And then the plants in turn feed sugars to the microbes to keep a healthy biome going in the soil. And what we do is when we till this up, the protozoa and the fungus have what they call hyphae, which are just like long roots. And some of them are miles and miles and miles long. And what, what this process does is it keeps the natural working of the soil breaking down to feed the plant. And so it's kind of a process. The sun feeds the plants, the plants die, and, and the microbes reconfigure the plants so the next set of plants can use all these microbes. And when you kill the soil, what you're doing is you're going in and wrecking all their houses. So they have to start and rebuild again. And that's one of the things that is one of the good reasons for we using no-till. And we I, I'm just going to stop you for just a second. You talked about uh, the high tea being often miles long. Can can you describe that just a bit more? Because when you think of these little microscopic organisms in our soil being able to form these huge networks, uh, can can you explain that a bit more? 
Well, that's in that's what is called a a healthy soil, and a healthy soil has just the right amount of of bacteria in there that that makes a family, and this whole family works together in digesting the organic material so it can break it down into the ions that the plant can absorb. And so this process, when we kill the soil, what we've done is just by like going through a, a road and taking a, uh, a plow and plowing up the road, the road is no longer there. You have to replace that road to drive on it again. And the same thing is happening in the soil is that when you're killing it up, you're breaking all these connections and all these families up. And then they have to start to rebuild again to start going again. And it's just one of the things that keeps the soil very healthy. And we have to leave here in the summertime most of, well, because my wife is severely allergic to sagebrush pollen. And we go over to the Oregon, and there's a University of Oregon site that is right close to where we stay. And uh, out on their site, they have an acre that is no-till, and right next to it, an acre that is tilled. And when you go to the no-till garden, it is just so soft and black and, and, and the soil just, water just goes right through it. It doesn't, you know, puddle up. And right next to it is one that is tilled and it is hard as a rock. And it's just amazing what no-till does. And how does this apply to people who are container gardening? Okay, people with container gardening is the one thing that you don't want to do is you just don't want to use potting soil or, or garden mix or something like that. You can use that in there, but you have to have real soil in there to get these microbes to, to uh, start working. So whenever you use a container gardening, you always make sure you have about, I would, what would you say, Deb, at least a third of it, maybe maybe even a little bit less of just regular garden yeah. soil? Yeah, put at least some, put some in there, that's for sure. And people are afraid to do that because they don't want to get weed seeds, but you can put it, you know, you can put it toward the bottom if it's really bothering you that you're gonna put weed seeds in there. But how hard is it to weed a container? It's, it's, it's not terribly difficult. And with the balance of the microbes in the soil, that is one of the things that keeps the weeds from coming up. Also, I didn't mention this, but killing the soil also brings weed seeds up to the top of the surface. Yeah, because a lot of people kill because they're trying to get rid of weeds, but they're actually making the problem worse. Yes, and, and there are some tools mm -hmm. for no-till. Which are um, oh, there's a wing hoe, a syrup hoe. These are just going on the surface of the um, uh, of the ground, and you can, and it'll be good for weeding too. Yeah, and I and, so, and can you describe what a stirrup hoe, hoe looks like? I have one, but a lot, and there is a handheld. Uh, those of us who are blind, I really recommend getting the handheld. Uh, could you describe what a stirrup hoe looks like and how you use it? Yes, yeah, so a stirrup hoe is like it says. It's like the stirrup on a horse. 
that you put your feet into. It looks just like that. And what you do is you just pull it across the top of the soil and it has a little blade on the end of it. And that's the syrup part of it. It just takes the top part of the soil right off. So it, yeah, and you just run it along. So it's okay to kind of if run something along the surface of the soil and kind of cut off the weeds right at the crown level. Um, it works really well for that. But what you don't want to be doing is like digging down with a big shovel and turning that soil over. There's a big difference between surface, um, kind of disrupting the surface a little bit with something like a stirrup hoe and um, digging way down. So when somebody's thinking about moving to um, no-till gardening, how do they start? How do they do it? Well, it's, if you're going to start like on, the, on, a, on a lawn, let's say, let's just pick an area that you're going to do it on. In the fall, what you could do is you could put down a layer of cardboard. And then on top of that, uh, about at least oh, three or four inches of soil or compost and leave that for the winter. And then during the winter time, what's going to happen is the cardboard is going to break down. The microbes in the soil will start to get activated, and then you can start planting in it. But then you don't ever have to turn that up again. All you do is every year, like in my garden, I just take the leaves from my tree and put it on the garden. But one thing you want to make sure when you do that is you put at least a little layer of garden soil on top of that so the microbes have a chance to start breaking down the leaves. And it, it's a wonderful thing. Every year I put down the bags that you fill with leaves. I'll put down four or five of those bags in a 10 by 30 foot garden. And then by the fall, in the fall, when you put it down, then by springtime, there's no leaves and the soil is just nice and black. And there's millions and millions of worms in there. So what you are doing then is in the in and so if anyone is thinking about no-till gardening now's the time to really look at your area uh a good use with those amazon boxes <laughs> pull the tape off and put down that cardboard over the area even right on top of the grass you don't have to kill the grass you don't have to use roundup or anything you put down the um, cardboard and then layer as Mike described and then over the years you just keep adding to the top of that and it it works it, it's amazing to me how well that works uh, I'm really happy that's what I use in my beds and my soil is is really beautiful it, it's very nice and uh, it, it saves so much work and it is letting your biome thrive. And I've also noticed that I, over time, not the first or second year, but over time, less and less weeding is necessary um, doing that. Uh, so it's, it's really a, a nice technique. Uh, and with container gardening, um, what I do with my containers is 
kind of a modified approach to that. I don't dump out my soil and get rid of it. I um, I just layer compost and rabbit manure on top uh, in the fall. Uh, and by spring, everything is nicely broken down and just keep adding to the to the existing soil and I don't mess around with you know what's under that I just keep adding to the top is that something you do too or do you have a different approach Mike excuse me just a no, second I... Musi oh. has her hand up should I tell her to wait that you'll get to her or should I take, take no, her no that's fine yeah, it's up to well, you Deb it's fine um, with me how about if you answer that and then we'll start taking calls how's that Sounds good. Um, how, and what about you, Mike, in containers? Um, what do you do with your containers over the winter? Well, uh, that's one thing I don't use. I don't use any containers, really. I just have okay. my one little area in the garden. But with containers, you don't have to dump the soil. I remember now, it, nope. it took a while for the food web to go in the container. Yeah, I've noticed... Um, the first year is usually my poorest year in my containers. After that first year, when I've been working on um, layering and adding, um, it, it's slowly, it just gets better and better. So, um, you know, don't waste your money getting rid of your potting mix, unless you get some kind of really nasty disease problem, but um, that's pretty rare. It, you don't have to. You can keep reusing that that expensive stuff you work so hard to get. So okay, let's Holly, let's open it up. I, I hope people have questions, comments. We'd love to hear from you. So Holly will take our first call. Miss Yalred, go ahead, dear. Unmute yourself. All right, we're not hearing you. And if uh, Holly, if you can maybe step people through how to unmute, maybe. Okay, I'll re I'll re go over it. If you're on a computer, it's Alt A. If you're on a Mac, it's Control. Whatever I never can remember this. If you're on the phone, it's in the lower um, right hand corner and mute. And unmute is in the lower left-hand corner. If you're on a phone, it's control six to raise your hand. I mean, all six, star six to raise your hand, star nine to talk. Okay, did I confuse everybody? To, yeah, star six to mute and unmute and star, star nine, nine to raise, to your, raise hand. your hand. Yeah. I listen to this thing about 10 times. I listen to this thing about 10 times a week. You'd think <laughs> I'd remember it. Well, sometimes on the iPhone, I've noticed you have to both unmute with the um, mute button and star six. I don't know why, but I yes. have noticed that on the on the iPhone. So if you're having trouble getting through, that could be what's going on, too. Seems like the, the Internet is acting flaky today, though. I can tell you that much for sure. Musi, go yeah. ahead. And please, other people, put your hands up. 
because there's nobody up here now. And this guy is very interesting. Mute, Shift command A for unmute on a Macintosh. Thank you. Command right. shift A. Yeah. Hey, right. I think I got unmuted. It's very difficult. <laughs> Hello. Yes. Hello. Yay. My question is about earthworms. I, I had a friend a long time ago who was in the earthworm selling business, you know, mail order. Now, when do you know that you need earthworms and should you buy them online? Well, if, if you need earthworms, A, you have a problem in your soil. Because if you have okay. good, healthy soil, you uh -huh. have lots of earthworms. Now, okay. buying earthworms, you can you want to get your soil back to a good, healthy state again. Make sure you put a lot of organic material in there. It depends mm -hmm. on where you live. Um, you know, in Idaho here, we don't have any organic material in our soil. But back in the Midwest, you have a lot of organic material. So it all depends on, on your, your location. But mm -hmm. uh, you, earthworms are definitely healthy, but there's usually the worms that they sell are red wigglers and not uh, giant night crawlers. So you want to make sure you get the night crawler worms instead of the red wigglers. Okay. 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 And what other than the, he talked about adding leaves in the fall. Do you have any other uh, ideas for promoting uh, habitat for earthworms, Mike? Just lots of good organic material. You, you put it down there, they'll come and they'll feed on it. Um, it. It's just amazing when you have plenty of organic material in the soil and how, how, abundantly the earthworms are uh, when the grandkids come over and want to go fishing they just take a shovel and they got their little bucket full of worms on in one shovel full yeah and i've used uh you can go to starbucks and other coffee places and get coffee grounds for free i've used that by the wheelbarrow full <laughs> um and i've also used um leaves as mike mentioned in compost you can get compost that works really really well lots of options for for feeding those earthworms and making them a happy place to be thank yeah, you can you. also just you can also just dig a little trench out in the garden and take your vegetable scraps and put them in the little trench and cover it up and they'll degrade and that will one thing bring the earthworms Okay, we have another hand. All right. Jewel, okay. go ahead. Hi, Jewel. Hi. Hi, Jewel. Um, hi. I was wondering um, what's your thoughts on the best way to compost? I know you just mentioned um, composting, but just covering it up. Um, what are your thoughts on that and that as a way to encourage worms as well? Um, and, of course, you know, bacteria and fungus as well. Now, you're, you're asking how to make the compost? No, uh, well, like, like where is a good place and what the best practices? I know a lot of people don't realize that it has to be equal parts nitrogen and carbon, for example. So what oh, are your yeah, thoughts they're, they're... on different ways of doing that? Well, I'm not a big composter. Uh, Deb, you might want to take that one. Well, um, yeah, I've heard different 
um, ratios for nitrogen and, and carbon, I, I think it's typically like 25% nitrogen and, and 75% carbon. But, um, but what is nitrogen and what is carbon is something you need to, you know, explore a little bit. But I don't get really, really scientific about it when I am, when I am um, composting, which I do year round, I use my nose. <laughs> and I, when I open up the, one of my compost bins and it doesn't smell particularly good, then I know I, I, I am out of balance somehow. And, um, and that's usually because I have too much nitrogen stuff in there and need to add more carbon stuff in there. Um, but I think Mike's idea of digging the holes, I've, I've tried this. It, it works especially well with like your uh, watermelon rinds and, and uh, cantaloupe, your melon rinds, your squash parts that you don't eat. Um, digging a hole and all oh, those pumpkins, everybody's going to be wanting to get rid of over after Halloween. Um, you dig a hole and bury that, and it it doesn't take long at all for that to decompose, and it really is a nice, easy way to compost. And uh, I I can't recommend that strongly enough. It works really well. And Deb, that also brings up a good thing. A good topic would be one on how to compost. I we we have a master composter class with uh, in our. Uh, Ada County office, and uh, I bet you you could get somebody from there to give you a little class on that because they they have it down. Yeah, Dave came and talked to us last fall, and he did a really nice job. Um, you might want to look for that that podcast. Uh, he did a really nice job talking about composting. Um, but yeah, it's it's sometimes people get a little they think it's too complicated and they don't want to get into it because it's so complicated and it can be, but, um, but there are some easier ways to do it too. Uh, there are ways of just having a big pile and adding to it, but uh, there are pros and cons and a lot to think about with composting, but you can also buy compost and that, that is, for many of us, I, even though I make a lot of compost, I still buy compost too. And uh, it's, there's no shame in that. It's good stuff. Um, you can often find a good organic source. And I, I put it in my containers. I, I use it in various places. So, um, yeah, it's, it's really good stuff. Yeah, one of the things I'm using with it a lot is the earthworm compost. Every time I plant a little plant, I always put a little bit of earthworm compost in with my plant. All right. And yeah, also, and you buy that? Yes, I buy that in a bag, yes. Mm -hmm. And also when you're buying compost, if you open the bag of the compost and you have a, a little ammonia smell to it, that compost is not done yet, so don't use it. Make sure you it's well done before you use the compost because if you use the compost that is not completed, it it we it kills the microbes in the soil. Yeah, that's a a good point. Sometimes the compost we get is not the best. Uh, there have been problems with compost 
that has been contaminated with broadleaf um, pesticides, and uh, that can transfer to your soil. So when you do buy compost, try to get it from a reputable source. And I know these days that's not the easiest, um, but you know, ask around and it's, uh, it's really worth its weight in gold when it's good stuff and, and um, can't recommend it highly enough. Holly, do we? Yes, um, Ed. About Brett. Ed Kenlin oh, yes. is next. Hello, right. yeah, just, Hi, uh, Ed. Hello, I just wanted to mention that uh, speaking of composting, I sort of got into it by accident by putting a bunch of leaves around uh, something that we're calling a lily tree. It's uh, about 25, 30 years old. It's gotten quite large since it was just a bush. And I thought it was a bush and turned out to be a tree. And, uh, but that tree, that mature tree now, I just raked some leaves around it uh, some years ago. And uh, then I threw some grass clippings on there that I didn't really particularly want to carry to the dump. And so quite by accident, uh, some months later, I was shuffling around in that little pile. And I noticed, hey, I didn't put any dirt in here. How come there's dirt? Cause I don't know anything about what I'm doing. And uh, what do you know? It's, you know, somebody said, well, that's not, you know, you put leaves there, you put grass there. Next thing you know, it's decomposing. You got dirt. And uh, yeah, or perhaps the, the more, more correct term is soil. But uh, yeah. So then that happened and we just kept throwing some uh, table scraps and such out there. And next thing you know, we've got a pile of, of, uh, of soil and we've been using it around the gardens and it seems to be working all right. Yeah, it, it's actually pretty easy to compost when you just kind of start doing it. And I and Mike, I think, was just starting to recommend using grass clippings too. Uh, was that correct, Mike? Were you just starting to go there too? Yeah, and the one thing I was gonna mention is you wanna make sure when you use grass clippings that nobody has used weed and seed in their with their grass because it won't go away. Yeah, I do not let anybody put chemicals and stuff on my grass. I've never done anything with my lawn other than cut it. I usually just let the cuttings lay. And it was only because some of them just a little bit kind of a little bit too much piled up in a in a place and very selectively raked. Otherwise, I just let the uh, clippings go back into the soil. And uh, my neighbors fuss at me for saying, you know, what do you do to your lawn? And I tell them, absolutely nothing. You let it self-fertilize. Yeah, let, that works really, yeah. I let a lot of people. God, I, let God water, I let God water it and, I, and I, I, I hire a guy to cut it. And I tell him, don't you dare rake anything or use any chemicals. And, you know, he says, yep, okay, whatever you say, because he, he likes that because that's less work for him. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people are afraid it will build up thatch, but it doesn't. It's actually great. Leaving the clippings on the grass is really, really good fertilizer. And um, Mike, I'm guessing those little microbes are really enjoying that feast. Is, is, is that partly why it's such a good fertilizer? That's exactly what it is. 
because when the microbes are breaking down the organic material, it's recent, releasing the, all the ions that is needed for uh, the, the, the plant to intake. So the microbes eat the organic material and then their waste goes out and feeds the plant. And that's what makes the healthy soil. And remember now, this is a, think of it as like a spider web. It's called a soil web for a reason because there's actually a web out there of little microbes and all their, their little roots and stuff that uh, are breaking down the organic material and making the soil become alive. Yeah, and the one thing, the one caution I would just say is when you are putting uh, grass clippings or leaves or other organic material around plants, uh, just be careful that it's not coming right up to the um, stems of the plant or the trunks of trees because those microbes, can't, it can cause some rot around the plant. So just kind of pull it back from the stems and the trunks of any plants you have in beds. But you don't have to pull it back much. Just try to have it not, you know, piled up on there. Um, would you say that too, Mike? Have, have, or oh, yes. have you had no trouble with that? Oh, no. If you pile up... Uh too much things next to the trunk of a tree. Let's say you pile up a bunch of leaves. Well, here comes the wintertime. Guess what's going to go in there? Little voles or little rodents. And then they're going to start, oh, look at this tree I can gnaw on. So you always keep uh, mulch away from the tree at least about a foot. And less on a, on a plant, but you, like on a tomato plant or something, you, you can be just a few inches away from it. I guess I've got some correction and remediation to take care of. I'll do it just as soon as it's raining. Yeah, well, yeah, well you know what, Ed, you, what you're doing sounds like it's working really, really well. So I, I wouldn't be too worried about it. But yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's another another thing. If it works, why fix it? Yeah, not broke, don't fix it. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Ed. Do we have any other hands? Holly? We don't have any hands at this time. All okay. right. So feel and that's free sad. to Yeah, feel free to jump in if you have any questions. Oh, good. We've got one. Oh. All right. Devin, is that it? How to say it right, Devin? Go ahead. Hi, Devin. Yes. Devin. Hi. Um, can you hear me okay? Yes, Perfect. we can. Okay, great. I was just wondering for prepping the garden, you know, here in the fall, I ordered some um, organic compost. And I was wondering, like, with the bean plants and stuff that have died off, do I cut those at the top of the soil to leave the roots? Do I just leave them and put the compost on top? Do I rip them out? Like, what's the best practice with plants in the fall when you're adding to a no-dig garden? Well, one of the most important things was there any disease in any of the plants. If there was any disease in the plants, you definitely want to take them out. But they'll compost down too in, in the compost. You can just put them underneath to cut them down and put them in there and they'll compost too, just like you would do it in a regular compost pile. 
So okay. what I usually do, yeah, what I usually do is is um, not with everything. Sometimes I do have to take some stuff out, and when I do, I put it in the backyard and let the chickens work on it and compost it for me. But most of my my bedding plants, I just weave. Um, they're standing all winter. I I don't even cut them down in the fall. Some people do. I don't because the um, and the birds and various animals like to feed on the the flower head the seed heads. And some of the seed heads do have some of them are pretty. Some aren't. And then um, I will really late this this winter probably about mid January beginning of February. February, I'll go out there and I will um, chop it down and just lay it on, lay the the dead plant parts on top of the soil, and uh, and then um, sometimes I will compost um, on top of that a second time. I've already composted around Thanksgiving. I'll have a nice layer of compost out there, and I might put a lighter layer on top of what I lay down uh, this spring, uh, you know, late this winter. And that, that stuff breaks down. It's amazing how quickly it, it, it breaks down. It's um, amazing for your soil. And one of the other things you can use is the cover crop in the fall. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. I I um March gave me some red clover seed and I grew that as a cover crop and that stuff is oh my goodness what it did for my soil. And plus I was able to I had um beautiful clover growing all winter and uh it there are various plants you can get to be a cover crop over the winter and they work really well and they do wonders for the soil. And then you just chop them down and let them um, decompose in place. Or if it's too much, you can, you know, pile it up and let it compost. But it, it's, those are really good. Do you have a favorite cover crop, Mike? No, I just use my leaves for my, my tree, but, uh, any of those, the red clover, there's a few others that are good, but the red clover is one of the best ones for it. And again, it depends yeah. on your your geographical area too. What what goes better is, well, you might want to go down and ask your local extension office, what is the best cover crop in my area? Yes, that's, that's yeah, because we have people all over the place. Now, Marge did not like the <laughs> the red clover that much. She and her husband did not care for that in Georgia, but I loved it here. Um, and I think she said she had grown fava beans as a cover crop one year, too. Um, I wish we had her to pick her brain about that. So thank you. Do you have any other questions, Devin? Um, I was just wondering about the leaves. So you put the organic material on, or, you know, like compost that then layer on top of the leaves. 
and then they break down? Well, okay, what, what I do is when I don't even put compost. I just use the dirt in the oh. garden, okay? Okay. And the and that's what that's what starts the breaking down. And last year, I got a little bit lazy and didn't put very much dirt on top of my leaves. In fact, I really didn't do any. And then come uh, springtime, I went, oh, my goodness, look at this mess. It's just all these leaves are all compacted and didn't decompose, but they're all, they're all gushy and, and, and falling apart. And I said, well, I'll just plant right in it. And it was a wonderful year this year that all the leaves are now gone because they've all been broken down. But even when they were still mushy like that, because I didn't completely get them broken down, it was still good to plant in. Okay, cool. I bet they kept the weeds down, too. Well, I unfortunately am plagued with field bindweed in my garden. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's... That's the one weed that nothing stops. <laughs> well, I have been for told, sure. Yeah, I have been told that field buying weed is what holds the earth together. <laughs> well, and if you ever uh, dealt we, with it, you'll know what we mean. Yeah, it's it's a very very tenacious weed. I I um, did talk to a beekeeper who said that. The bees love it, though. It's great for pollinators. <laughs> okay, All we right. have another hand up. Uh, Jewel G. All right. Okay, Jewel. Yeah, um, so when you're talking about soil, creating a good soil, you also have to take into consideration if the soil's new to you, like you are just new to the property, and somebody else put chemicals on it, for example, or didn't take good care of it, how do you remediate or... Uh, renew soil. Great well, question, the first, Jewel. Yeah, the first thing you do is take it down someplace to have your soil analyzed, so you'll know what's in it. Like if they take it to the University of Idaho, they comes back, and then the horticulturalist looks at the soil things and says, "Now your soil is deficient in this. You need to put so much of this mm -hmm. in, and so much more of this, or don't add any of this because you have too much of that." So you have to know where to start to start with, mm. and. I'll just mention, for everybody's sake, most extension offices can do that. Yes, that's and there's, true. And, and there's many independent places that can do it mm -hmm. also. Yeah, but and every county of the United States about, has an extension office at least. Yes, they're all over. And their services are often free or very low cost. Mm -hmm. So, Jewel, are you talking about toxins like uh, weed killer? Like, um, yeah, like, or are you like, for example, I'm looking to buy a property in a couple of years. Um, I'm saving up for mm -hmm. it right now, saving up for my down payment. Say I go and find a farm property that I really like, but the person behind before me was using um, like insecticides and you know mm -hmm. uh, pesticides on their pasture and i want it to be you know chemical free how would you remediate a situation like that i've heard some um and this is something that i will just tell you i'm not an expert in but i have heard some techniques like running livestock on the property for a while mm. um that and that that it's can goats. be a starting <laughs> point 
Um, the other thing you can do and, and not try to grow, just run livestock mm -hmm. on it for a while. Um, the other thing you can do, there are some plants that are um, good at processing toxins like um, yeah. sunflowers uh, can can help do that. Mm -hmm. um, I remember talking about other, that. Yeah, and, and the other thing is, um, I don't know if the soil testing that is available would look for the toxins. Do you know, Mike, if, if uh, the extension agency soil testing usually looks at that, or is that a special request thing? Oh yeah, that, that's, I was just gonna mention, that's a special request thing, and not all places can do that. And mm -hmm. I do believe it gets a little pricey also. Just well, the other thing that I, for testing, what you can do is you can try growing beans in the soil. Beans usually grow up, they grow very quickly, and they are very sensitive to the toxins. The oh, usual ones smart. are going to be the broad, yeah, the usual ones are the broadleaf weed, weeds, weed killers. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's Grayson, if I remember, if that's the name of it. But um, you can just um, do a test and um, try growing beans in the soil and see how they do. Excuse me, the same thing they... goes with cucumbers. Cucumbers yeah? are very sensitive to pesticides. Okay, That's, we have another there hand. You go. Chanel has All right, hand. thank you, Jewel. Chanel has her hand up for somebody in the clubhouse. Yes, we have someone named right. Free Spirit. Uh, I've, you're on stage, so you may unmute. Hi, Free Spirit. Hello. Thank you for I'm joining Lori. us. Can everyone hear me? Hi. Hello. Yes, we can hear you. Oh, excellent. That's great. We hear you. Um, yep. I have a question. My name is Lori, by the way. I have a question. Um, does anybody have any idea why it is that we don't see earthworms and stuff occurring naturally as much anymore? Well, one of the reasons is because of all the uh, chemicals that they have put into the soil. Uh, that's one of the biggest reasons. And it's, it's what you're knowing is now. Time to stand. Oh, you can keep going, Mike. That's just somebody's screen reader. No, that was my watch, and it's 50 after the hour. Okay. Mike, are you still there? I'm still here. Okay, go um, ahead. Oh, it, it looks now. What was the question can, again? I wanted to make sure. Okay, why are there why are earthworms um, going away? Why are we seeing shortages of earthworms? And you were saying that part of it has to do with the overuse of chemicals. Yeah, that's one. Of, that's one of the problems. Uh, yeah, I can see that because are, if you're are great if you're using of your, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was just no, going to say if you're if you're over if you're using chemicals and relying on chemicals instead of adding organic matter i could see how that would slowly starve the earthworms just yeah, the thought and, uh, yeah that's one of the things what's uh, going on with them but when you have good healthy soil you have earthworms all right and 
when you're saying chemicals, what chemicals, do you know what chemicals earthworms and the microbiome might be um, sensitive to? What to avoid? Uh, no, not, not off the top of my head. No, I don't know. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, the using any chemicals changes the um, chemistry of your soil. So do it with, with caution, great caution. And a lot of that stuff persists. Remember, All the right. earthworms need something to digest. Okay, so they, they work with organic material. So that's one of the big things you need to make sure you have plenty of. Okay, and Mike, we're kind of winding down towards the end here. Do you, uh, well, maybe Holly and Chanel, do we have any last callers before we start winding it down? Any hands? Hang on. Not me. And none in oh, Nella Foster. Oh. I beg your pardon. There's a Nella Foster. Oh, we have to hear from Nella. Hey, Nella. Hey, Deborah. I just did a quick little search, and it's saying uh, mostly the pesticides, especially if they're high in phosphorus or the phosphates. And that was saying that worms that come to the surface, like the night crawlers, are more susceptible than the ones that feed further down in the soil, which makes sense. That that does make sense. And I and some of the uh, chemical fertilizers are very, very high in phosphorus too. Right. So that's so, what I was saying. There's a lot a lot more information, but that's just like a quick, one of the quick, you know, things that said right off the, at the top is that Yeah. Thank you. Nella. Some of the herbicides as well, but mostly the pesticides yeah that that was a great question thank you so that this, this we just like you said mike we just scratched the surface there is so much to think about with our soil microbiome thank you for raising our attention to this and you know for many of us who have a winter coming up this is the time of the year you might be thinking gardening is over. Uh-uh. This is when you want to be adding organic matter and really thinking about um, taking care of your soil. So, Mike, any final thoughts before we say goodbye? Yeah, just make sure that you don't per procrastinate on this and start doing this in the spring because it won't work. You've got to do it in the fall. So, yeah, now's the time. Uh, for most of us, some of us might be listening in other parts of the world or other places where maybe uh, it's a different time. But for, for those of us who have winter coming up, now is the time. Don't, don't think you're done gardening for the year. You need to tend to that soil. So, Mike, thank you for joining us twice. You are very informative, and we've greatly enjoyed hearing from you. Thank you. And thank you very much for having me. I do enjoy it. Thank you. And we'll have to have you again. We, we like to not scare our guests away. <laughs> so next month, um, we are going to be talking about edible landscaping with another master gardener. It, I, you're probably thinking, what? But it is going to be a good time because uh, these 
you need to order early to get your plants these days. It is, these places are selling out like crazy. So it's a good time to be thinking about what you want to plant next spring and uh, maybe what you want to grow in containers. We'll be covering all of that with our uh, Master Gardener next month. And I, I hope everybody can join us. We missed Marge greatly today. She would have had some great input today, but we got through. Um, thank you to Holly and Chanel. Thank you for your work and your volunteer time. And I think if, um, if Holly and Chanel agree, we can go ahead and sign off.